0: hello hello and welcome back to art house garage the snob free film podcast that makes art house indie and classic cinema accessible to the masses i'm your host andrew swetman and on this episode we are wrapping up season three of the podcast which has been all about classic film essentials the last six episodes have broken down some of the biggest titles of the classic era giving all the historical and story context you need whether you're a beginner or a film expert. This final episode is about a biggie, and possibly the greatest film of all time, Citizen Kane. Just before we get to that, I want to go ahead and preview next season of the podcast. Arthouse Garage is all about classic, indie, and arthouse films. We've been doing a series on classic film, but now we are going to turn our attention to our namesake, Arthouse Cinema and we're going to keep a similar focus, a gateway, a way in, a beginner's guide of sorts. We are calling it the Art House Starter Pack. I'm very excited to get into it. We'll be looking at six of the biggest films in the art house world across a variety of time periods and countries. I'm excited to announce right now the titles we will be discussing. First up, from 1953, Tokyo Story, from Japanese director Yasujiro Ozu. Next, from 1957, The Seventh Seal, from Swedish filmmaker Ingmar Bergman. Fast forwarding then to 1979, the film is Stalker, from Russian director Andrei Tarkovsky. After that, we'll be looking at 1985's Vagabond, from French auteur Agnes Varda. Then, we will look at 1993's Blue, from the Three Colors trilogy, by Polish director Krzysztof Koslowski, And finally, from 2011, we'll discuss The Tree of Life, from American director Terrence Malick. I'm very excited to watch all of these, and I'm excited to announce the guest who will be joining me for the entirety of Season 4, Andrew Camarillo. Andrew is a filmmaker and a photographer who previously joined me on the podcast back in Season 1 to discuss the film Synecdoche, New York. Which, by the way, is the most popular episode of this podcast ever. I really love Andrew's thoughtful take on movies and I can't wait for him to join in and discuss these films. I have actually only seen two of these films before, so it's going to be my first time for most of them. Very very excited for that. Back to today, we are looking at Citizen Kane, often called the best movie of all time. What is this movie about? Well, here's what IMDb says, Following the death of publishing tycoon Charles Foster Kane, reporters scramble to uncover the meaning of his final utterance, Rosebud. And that sums it up pretty well, but it leaves out the fact that this film is also tightly tied to American history and it's full of incredible technical innovations too, not to mention the story unfolds beautifully in a non-linear fashion. That's probably enough to get you started, so let's get on to the discussion. Quick note, we do get into the ending of this film, but we give a spoiler warning before we do so. Now here is my discussion with Rance Collins about the incomparable Citizen Kane.
1: How do you do ladies and gentlemen this is Orson Welles
2: I'm speaking for the Mercury Theater and what follows is supposed to advertise our first motion picture Citizen Kane is the title and we hope it can correctly be called a coming attraction it's certainly coming coming to this theater and I think our Mercury actors make it an attraction I'd like you to-
0: hello again Rance Collins thanks for being back how are you
2: oh it is it's so great to be here <laughs> yes i agree um alive it, it's good to be alive yes
0: still in the time of coronavirus now so uh yeah just good to hear other people's voices and uh, um talk about a, a shared experience like citizen kane I mean. which is what we're talking about today um this movie citizen kane is uh has a hum- humongous legacy in uh, mm-hmm. cinema history number one of afi Uh, both the lists that they've done um, at the top of sight and sound from years running for a long time. Um, Mm -hmm. It's, it's a big deal and it's one that I had actually never seen. So I was really uh, happy to finally check this one off and, and see it. But
2: um, it's one of those movies that I feel like um, if if everybody's heard the name Susan Kane, everybody's heard this movie title before and people haven't necessarily seen it though because mm. you know everybody here is like oh yeah best of your babes is game. yeah and mm. and then they don't you know nobody there's something about um a movie that is critically considered great mm. it's kind of like uh you know like ah oh, man yeah anna Karenina. Mm, i know so... yeah great book <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like a little bit of you a turn off
0: to the average moviegoer maybe if critics really yeah love it. they're like
2: yeah. oh man i guess i have to sit down there's something about something that seems like it's um high art mm-hmm. that makes it uh makes it feel like without looking at it it feels like a schlog mm-hmm. you know yeah um and and so we're tackling that right now. Cause this yes. is different. This is different, I think, than Casablanca. Because yeah. you know, Casablanca is another movie that maybe has a similar amount of clout around it. Mm-hmm. But Casablanca is a little bit more of a traditional popcorn film yeah. mm-hmm. than Siss and Kane is. Yeah. Um Sisson Kane is a little bit more highfalutin. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
2: You know? Um but uh, but there's a reason that it ranks so highly on all of these lists. And yes. yeah. we we need to digest, we need to um, dissect. I was going to say digest, but we should do that. But we should also dissect it. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> all the DI words that we can apply oh, to this movie. Here we go. <laughs> words, words are great.
0: <laughs> well, Citizen Kane, so I had not even much... Um, Kind of context for what it was about. I knew it was. I knew that it told a man's life, kind of in bits and pieces, and that's true. Uh, it tells about Citizen Kane, who is Charles Foster Kane, um, mm-hmm. who is played by Orson Welles, who also directed this. And we'll talk about him in a minute. He's, he's yeah. a big deal. Um,
2: Just you should know on the onset before you listen to anything else we say. He was. He turned twenty six the year this movie came out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Just What have I done with my life that he made the greatest movie ever? taught? yeah. We're in our
2: thirties, and um,
0: I'll have you know, I'm actually 29. Oh, are for, you? Until August. Sorry. <laughs> so there's oh, that. Oh, we're
2: August. August what? Uh, 26th. Oh, I'm August 1st. Wow, look at that. August ah, August. you're a, you you were the same month but different astrological signs.
0: Uh, oh yeah, um, missed miss so, that divine.
2: So close. What a shame. I know. Um <laughs> well tra- Charles
0: uh. Charles Foster Kane is the lead here, uh is the protagonist <laughs> and he's kind of based on some real life uh, I think more than one person from what I'm what I understand, but primarily William Randolph Hearst, who is a real historical figure. Yes. Um uh, yes. but Charles Kane is uh a newspaper magnate and a businessman and a politician and um the movie opens with his death. So we see Um, what I was mentioning before, kind of, kind of some surprisingly avant-garde kind of experimental looking shots. And, uh, like we see through, uh, through some broken glass at one moment and it's kind of hazy for a second, but we see a a snow globe, uh, fall to the ground and break. And then we hear the word rosebud and that's kind of all we see. And then it jumps into this newsreel that's pretty lengthy. Um, and it kind of tells some of the context of who he was, like it's an obituary, I guess. Um, yeah. And it says he lives in this palace called Xanadu, and um, he was a newspaper man and a politician and all this stuff, and just kind of scratches the surface, and then um, we, that ends, and we're in the newsroom with these guys who have just made this newsreel, and say, you know, it needs a little something else. Why don't we figure out what his last words, rosebud, that has to have a significant meaning. Let's, let's investigate that. Let's drill down. And so then, for the rest of the movie, we're following this investigative journalist who is talking to his ex-wives and his um, business partners, and um, we're, we're learning little bits and pieces. And one of the most amazing things, I think, is, is just how uh, out of order this is told, because it starts at the end, um, but it really jumps all over the place. It's not like it just has a flashback here and there. It's like primarily flashbacks, and they don't all go in order, and yet it feels really cohesive, and you never get lost of uh, where you are in time. Um, so yeah, that's that's well, kind a lot of what of that it's about. probably
2: starts with. That you know, you mentioned how it starts with the with the newsreel. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, well, it starts with him saying "rosebud" and then it shows the newsreel. So from the very beginning, you are given a nice overview of his entire life mm-hmm. as the quote unquote public yeah, knows it, it. Mm-hmm. and then you take the facts that you know and the people that you met in that newsreel and then you dissect that Mm. as we said a second ago and you go back and you start on this path to find out what Rosebud means, which is really, um, I mean the core of the movie is Mm. you ultimately discover that Rosebud is, is the thing he hung on to is Mm. uh, the existential thing he held on to Mm. his whole life. But, um, which maybe in a little while we'll spoil what Rosebud yeah. is. I feel like a lot of people have probably heard what it is at this mm, point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's one of those like Norman Bates is his mother situations. <laughs> yeah. Well, <well-known>, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, wow. I hope that so. Everybody <laughs> listened to has seen psycho. Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, anyway, um, you mm. know, it's, yeah, there's just some things, <laughs> some things that become like cinema, um, in in jokes, back kinda, yeah, yeah. yeah, in jokes, you uh-huh. know, like, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, Snape isn't actually a bad guy. I don't know. Like, you know, um, <laughs> there's just things that you you know through osmosis. But um, anyway, uh, uh, which I only recently went through all the Harry Potters, so I shouldn't have used that um, analogy. I avoided it for yeah. so long. Um, and then I finally watched them all. And okay, I get it. I get why people like them. I'm glad you've had um, that experience. You know, have not I, re- just to sorry not, to get distracted on seen, Harry Potter. I haven't or, read.
0: Okay, that's my question. Yeah. All
2: right. Yeah. Wow. I just like I don't know. When I was a kid I didn't like things that were popular. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and so I I feel like lots of Cinephiles can probably yeah. relate to that statement because yeah. you know, we we buck the trends. Yeah. We wanna <laughs> we wanna discover the artsy stuff and and that's,
0: that's so funny that you say that because when i was a kid i wanted to read it desperately because i was at like a pretty conservative christian school and it was oh. a little bit like a rebellion oh he's reading that wizard book
2: and uh yeah so that was that I was my that's experience that's of it. <laughs> yeah I forget that very Harry much Potter so it's huge i don't <laughs> think that that exists as much as it used to i don't yeah, know if I uh, think that's true I, think I feel like it's it's i mean like lots of people i knew at our very conservative Baptist university still really liked Harry Potter. So I guess it's not as big a thing. It was pretty uncommon, Um, I think, but anyway, yes. I mean, but still, um, anyway, uh, (laughs) much like Harry Potter, Charles Frost, Foster Kane has to go on a journey to discover it. It's a beautiful
0: transition. Yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Much like Hogwarts, uh, Xanadu, his home. It's
0: a huge palace. So we start to talk to his different loved ones through his life, and we see uh, his 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 growing up. One of the first places he goes, this journalist goes to learn more about him, is to read the journal of mm-hmm. um, who was uh, this person who was basically a father figure to Charles Kane, and we see mm-hmm. his childhood and, and for like just a one scene really. Um, but his family and was that's very the, poor. Yeah, the, go In ahead. the vault, right? That's yeah, the the, in the vault. Yeah, so it's like a. Yeah, it's like a. It feels like a bank vault, but it's like a library, or maybe it is a vault. I'm not sure, but it's um, it's like under it's lock and key somewhere. Yeah. He has have to go and, in and, and have
2: and to get it. It's very like, and a big that's deal. one of those first. I mean, like, there's lots of set pieces in this movie mm. that are that you are going to remember, but that is yeah. a set in a way that the set is shot that mm-hmm. is so stark and full of all these right angles. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like the lighting all, and yeah, the, architecture. the lighting. Mm-hmm. It's it's um, everything has kind of a dreamlike mm-hmm. um, Salvador Dali yeah. feel about it, you know. Mm-hmm. When, um, when he walks, Tolan, go ahead. That. Yeah, Greg Tolan did the cinematography, who um, uh, also uh, did the cinematography for Best Years of Our Lives that we talked oh, about last week. There you go. That's very great. differently shot film. Yeah. very feeling different uh, when he walks into
0: that vault room i had this feeling like oh this feels like a sci-fi movie and i think (laughs) i I realized (laughs) it's like uh, it flashed me back to watching blade runner which of course came years later but i think borrows so and you see a lot of things have borrowed from this movie um over the years blade Mm -hmm. runner actually towards the end there's something that's exactly the ending of raiders of the lost ark um uh yes i was like oh my gosh yes direct direct parallel that i never knew must have been intentional but
2: you know no. i don't know if i had actually i don't know if i had processed mm-hmm. like I, I with the second you said it i knew exactly what you meant mm-hmm. but um i don't know if i had processed that how direct that connection was yeah it's this it's probably moment. because
0: i never have seen this before until this week but i uh-huh. have watched indiana jones 100 times and so that ending immediately sparked that in my brain it's like, oh my gosh spielberg stole this this is great
2: yeah I mean you know I mean Spielberg was uh, is one of the directors that really sprung out of mm. he I, I don't know you wouldn't say he was the second generation director he um, he he was like a third or fourth generation director uh, but he was of the first generation of film school directors mm. and so Spielberg came along at a time. Along with Martin Scorsese and mm-hmm. and uh, Francis Ford Coppola, where you really get this influx of um, film directors who are the first crop that have been taught film mm-hmm. as something uh, as something uh, educational.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Kind of L- learned, as learning the formal yeah.
0: techniques, I guess. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and and learning older films Mm -hmm. as a textbook as Mm -hmm. opposed to just entertainment yeah Mm -hmm. so we've we've so spielberg is interesting Mm -hmm. I, i i hadn't really thought about that it's funny that he's been around for so long too he started so young yeah um but uh you know we it seems like film schools have been around forever now but um it makes sense that spielberg would be Paying homage yeah, yeah. to such films because whenever he was at film school, I mean, I'm sure Citizen Kane was you know top of the list movie that they were learning about. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that was the first time it was. Uh, he was of the first generation that uh, sprung forth out of film being considered academia. Mm, yeah, they're it's... they're of the first who mm-hmm. who were who are who come forth thinking that cinema is an art form. Yeah, so
0: and so you can see how influential this movie was as you're watching it. Um, so it starts there and he's, he's a child and he's uh, got this sled outside. And, um, so I had to actually uh, kind of pause and like figure out what was happening here, but his parents are very poor basically, mm-hmm. but they had come into some money because they found out their land was on, uh, uh like a diamond mine or an oil mine or something like that. Yeah. Um, and so essentially they send, uh, their son, Charles Kane mm-hmm. off to, be raised by someone else um which is that something that was common at that time do you know anything about like that process and why that happened
2: i don't know people had so many kids back then they probably yeah. i think they were just considered like you know something that you they were like currency at the time <laughs> yes <You see>. <laughs> i was like what what is happening is this trafficking like, there was, what is going on there was but, no there was no birth control there was yeah. no i, I guess it was like a sense like,
0: of he'll have a better life if he doesn't grow up here in this very rural middle of nowhere. yeah that's that's how I took it. So he goes off to live with his rich kind of banker kind of guy. Um, and that's who's
2: journal. And it should be noted that even though she's only briefly in the film, the person who plays his mother, Mm -hmm. um, is Agnes Moorhead Mm -hmm. and Agnes Moorhead is, it becomes, this is her first film appearance, uh, but she becomes one of the most popular character actors of the 40s, 50s and 60s. Mm -hmm. Uh, gets several Oscar nominations, including one for uh, Orson Welles' second film, The Magnificent Ambersons. Hmm. And um, she becomes best known to audiences, uh, probably much to her chagrin, um, for playing Indora on the oh, yeah. television sitcom Bewitched. Bewitched, yeah. Yeah, but Again, she yeah. is in a whole bunch of movies. Um I mean, just uh, uh, let me let me rattle off yeah. a few titles <laughs> for her, you. Her top one is, um,
0: is Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte. Is her number oh, one she, on
2: IMDb? <laughs> that is a really fun Baby Jane-esque mm-hmm. baby movie um, where she is unrecognizable as like this slovenly mm-hmm. person. Wow! Um, but yeah, she's also in um, uh, How the West Was Won, which has everybody mm-hmm. and their mother. Um, And she uh, is in uh, a movie called uh, Pollyanna. She's in a great, great kids movie, Pollyanna. Um, I say it's a great kids movie. It's also one of the saddest movies that you could possibly watch. But (laughs) have you seen Pollyanna? I have not. Oh, God. It takes a turn. It's like (laughs) this is happy, happy girl who's just making everyone's lives better because she has a positive attitude. And then gets really dark really quick. Um, Wow. But anyway, she's a great character actor. She made a ton, ton of movies um, throughout the 40s, 50s, and 60s. And um, this is her film debut.
0: And that brings up an interesting point. When you said she's also in his second movie, that means, yes, Citizen Kane was his first feature. Or Orson his yeah. first feature, which is also pretty remarkable.
2: Yeah. And, I mean, like, and a lot of the people in this movie, a lot. this is the start of a career for many of the people who were in the film. Mm. Um including uh the guy who plays his best friend in the movie, Joseph Cotton, mm. who um the next year makes uh Shadow of the Doubt, which we had the other lead from that movie in Best Years of our Lives last week, but Shadow of the Doubt's great Hitchcock film mm. um that he's in and he uh he becomes a very popular leading man in the forties and fifties. Um and he has a long career. He's also in the Third Man, mm-hmm. um, which uh, Orson Welles is in as well, obviously. Um, and there's a lot of character actors in this movie who end up becoming very popular. But a lot of them were involved in the Mercury Players, which was a troupe of uh, of performers that Orson Welles had assembled, mm-hmm. um, who did uh, theatrical productions in new york and did radio plays and the mm. mercury mercury radio theater which the first thing that really made orson wells a, a buzzword hmm.
1: oh, a yeah. buzz name the war of the
2: World was was his adaptation of hg G. wells's war of the worlds which was done uh like a news report and supposedly had lots of people thinking that there were actual aliens yeah it's a radio they, radio drama right Yes, there's a radio drama. People supposedly like committed suicide over the. They <laughs> thought over there the were broadcast. actually
0: aliens coming it was such a realistic. like. Parody how much of that's
2: press and how yeah. much of that is real is another question, but you can listen to that radio broadcast wow. on the internet if you would like to. <laughs> um, and uh, And so that's where he really sprang forth. And then he, because he was doing all these impressive things on radios, he got this basically carte blanche um Mm. uh contract with rko uh radio pictures to do whatever the hell he wanted to do and uh that only lasted really for one movie because he uh citizen kane uh did not become the financial success that it might have had william randolph hearst not actually existed Mm. um because william randolph hearst uh kind of suppressed the film as much as possible mm. because it was, it is very thinly veiled take yeah. on his life. And it's pretty damning. And it is pretty damning, not totally mm-hmm. um, without empathy, but you know, does have something to say and would not be a favorable portrait by any means. And so he had yeah. his mass newspaper syndicate empire, um, basically lambast the film mm. and uh, threaten people who um you know threatened anything that he had any type of yeah. power over um who were going to show the movie or um whatever the case may be and that really curbed its success even mm-hmm. if it did pick up quite a few oscar nominations mm-hmm. that year um and really it is uh even it, it was the it still got a great obviously critical reputation uh, from non Hearst papers mm-hmm. um but uh it really is film school mm. and college kids, you know, yeah. trying to be artsy in the <laughs> 60s and 70s yeah. that uh, brought this movie back into light mm. uh, in the mainstream. And uh, it, that and, you know, uh, the the reception that it got from... Uh, students of films overseas, you know, the John luc Godards and, mm-hmm. and, um, and Fran. Oh my gosh. You can't say his name. Truffaut.
0: Yeah. yeah, Francois. Um, yeah.
2: Francois <laughs> thank you. Um, <laughs> yes, yes. Francois Truffaut. Like that, that set of um, that, of uh, Fellini, you know, all of them, they're the ones who then combined with film schools are really the reason this movie came back into mm-hmm. the public consciousness and is now known to be the great film that it is but um but that's even though he was given all this freedom with this movie to basically do whatever he wanted to do because it didn't lead to such mammoth success his next film magnificent ambersons um ended up being very cut up by the studio Hmm, and there and the director's cut is not known to exist today Hmm. and uh then he was then he had another movie he was supposed to make for rko and it ran very much it was like a documentary-ish feature and it ran very much over budget and had lots of problems and then he ended up parting ways with rko and Hmm. uh, from there his his directing career goes in a lot of fits and starts and he takes a lot of um acting jobs uh to help pay the bills here and there uh, not necessarily to, because of quality, but he does mm. he does make a couple more movies of significance, including um, the Lady from Shanghai mm. and um, uh, Touch of Evil. Touch of Evil, yeah, yeah. But uh, but it's interesting, but because because of his uniqueness and his ahead of the time mm. feeling about him, he he doesn't ever really match this success again even though he was only 26 when the movie was released
0: it's really interesting i think so yeah. not even having seen before i ever saw anything that he starred in or made i mm-hmm. i had an idea that he was just like this creative genius like that's that's the the vibe that i had for some reason uh mm-hmm. that's his reputation a little bit That just incredibly creative yeah ahead of his time um
1: kind of and certainly kind of he was i mean yeah yeah this
2: movie is you know, I, I don't think he was necessarily a one trick pony. I right, think that yeah. he I think that he was uh, curbed by circumstance mm-hmm. more than anything else. You yeah. know, um, anyway.
0: yeah, that's that's really interesting. So I guess kind of getting back. So you mentioned a little bit of the William Randolph Hearst connection there. So from from the childhood scene, we, we basically go on. He uh, doesn't want to take his his new father figure's money, but he does want the newspaper. He really feels strongly mm-hmm. about that. Um, and then it shows his prominence uh, as a newspaper yeah, tycoon, I guess, um, that he, the way he's controlling information is really interesting. Um, and there's lines about, like, if you put it in a big headline, then it becomes news. And then, like, like mm-hmm. and, 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 and someone saying, oh, that's not news. And then he'd say, like, w- we'll make it news. And then yeah, there's, like,
2: a subtle indictment of... Um tabloid yellow yeah, journalism yeah. there that's really interesting that, and the way that, that intersects with politics
0: subtle. comes in and that yes. is so fascinating for today and i want to get to that oh um, yeah um, but yeah so and you were mentioning like newspaper headlines this was like this was the way everyone experienced the news and so if you mm-hmm. he just understood that if you control that information you can be incredibly powerful. and so that's what you see happening um, and then you, he has a couple of marriages along the way and mm-hmm. there's some of the details of that is important to the political part as well. but mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah again all told in bits and pieces and and kind of in fl- lots of flashbacks but um, yeah so he then he runs for governor and they, they, there's a few lines where they say, oh, one day you'll be president. so he just had this this feeling of ambition that people knew that he was gonna be a big deal um, yeah and he's just incredibly driven. And, um, he runs for governor and, uh, is doing very, very well with that. Um, but I guess backing up just a little bit, he has had uh, an extramarital relationship with, um, um, so his first wife is, um, named Emily is her name. And she is like the, uh, what, like the, the niece of the president or something like that. So she's kind of like, it's like a marriage of royalty almost, um, and that is, uh, a bit rocky and tumultuous, but more or less stays strong, it seems like. And, mm-hmm. um, they have a child and, and all of that. Um, but then he meets, uh, so the, the scene where he meets his, who becomes his second wife, Susan, um, she doesn't know who he is. And that's like the reason mm-hmm. he likes her. <laughs> like,
2: can we talk about, yeah, Can we go talk ahead. about that, that shot that, that, um, that uh, of Susan uh, when she's sitting in the bar and um it starts it's raining and it starts outside this uh this skylight window
1: mm-hmm.
2: and it goes through the window yes that's right yeah yeah and to the table where she's drinking obviously very heavily yeah. um that that entire i mean like i just w- want to call out some of the technical innovations that mm-hmm. are happening yeah. the whole time like every every the footnote to everything you were saying about the plot is that it is framed and shot mm-hmm. in a way yeah. that is so beyond anything that was happening at the time
1: mm-hmm.
2: and is also like it's so it's artsy but it's mm-hmm. also so dynamic
1: yeah mm-hmm. and, the, and editing, the editing of it too different.
2: Yeah. yes oh and there's so much there's so much going on in the quick cutting mm-hmm. of of the way the editing, I mean, I, I, I just like, just know that everything you're saying plot wise is, yeah. is told in a symphonic mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> uh, technical way. Like ed- there's a
0: moment <laughs> with editing where it, like half of the screen fades to another thing. And because it's in black and white, like a, it's a fully black section fades into a different image. And it's, it almost suggests the way they're recalling this and it's memory. It's really interesting. And like the visual yeah. plays into the plot as well. Anyway, that's, yeah, it's genius. And that's, that's, I think part of a huge part of the reason for this film's legacy. But yeah, it's really amazing. And, And the scene where, um, speaking of great shots where we first meet Susan, well, I guess we first meet her in the future and after his death and she is, yeah, drinking herself like blackout drunk every night. It seems like she's in a really bad place. Um, but then we, we see when they first meet, Uh, And the first shot is really incredible because we it's just like a drugstore and we see a car come rushing past the camera and then it pans over and we see, oh, Charles Foster Kane was standing there and got horribly splashed (laughs) by the mud of it. And you you kind of put the pieces to that together. And then that ends up being the reason that uh, they connect. She's like, oh, you can come into my apartment and I can clean you up because you're all covered in mud. And then, yeah, she has no idea who he is and he's incredibly attracted to that for some reason. That he uh, it seems like he's a man. I think they say this in the movie. He's a man who wants what he can't have kind of. Um, and so, so somehow reconnects to the person that he really is. If they don't know the persona <laughs> that he's become, I guess, because he's a big, big deal in, in society. So anyway, that happens. And then um, he has this huge political campaign. One of the, the images from this movie that you see uh, on IMDb and stuff is him standing in front of an enormous portrait of himself. And yep. that's, that kind of captures at least that era of his life. Uh, cause you now really I look, at see and look at this portrait cause I <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> want
2: to make sure I'm looking thinking about the right shot. Anyway, keep talking. Oh, the one, um,
0: yeah, he, it's like, he's mean, at the, a rally. Famous,
2: yeah. Yeah. Whenever he's during the governor campaign. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, uh, and that's another one of those famous shots too, because the introduction to that, to him on the podium is mm-hmm. it starts kind of far away. And, it, it closes into this um, this shot of him at that podium with that with the um, the big campaign yeah. portrait behind him, and it's from this kind of low angle looking mm-hmm. up at him, mm-hmm. where he's this larger than life figure. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Which just totally plays into that whole um, like if he's controlling the information, like he can make himself huge if he literally just makes a giant poster of himself like like that kind of mm-hmm. and there's like a, a level of he's controlling that and he understands that but also a level of he's so full of himself that he sees no issue with it um which this is the part that i want to bring in a little bit of modern day because mm-hmm. um i, I want to hesitate to compare anyone to our current president uh and i don't necessarily <laughs> have to get too political but i could not help but feel <laughs> some similarities there um and more i mean in in modern times it's how well can you control social media right and and be the loudest person on the news and that leads to success Uh, but you you definitely feel um kind of glimmers of that in citizen kane as he's uh controlling information to gain prominence i guess um yeah
2: no totally that's that's exactly what's happening yeah um it is it's this (laughs) That allegory that we just never seem to um, to <laughs> grasp or learn from, yeah. mm-hmm. in any way, shape, yeah. or form, where we're continually taught this story about uh, small men seeking uh, riches and wealth and fame and and you know doing any, anything at all cost to make mm-hmm. that happen, mm-hmm. and uh, we we continually just buy into them because they're because they they posture themselves to be, yeah, to be something great.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and it's, it's interesting. And again, like uh, all of this is based on a real life person. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. William Randolph Hearst who, um, interestingly, if you, if you want to know more about that story, there was an HBO film yeah, made about, that.
1: yeah.
2: Uh, it's called, uh, RKO Two Eighty One, right. and it has, uh, Lee Strasberg, uh, as Orson Welles. Wow. And um, James Cromwell is William Randolph Hearst, and uh, Melanie Griffith is Marion Davies, who was uh, his mistress, who is the composite for Susan. Okay, Um, and she actually, Marion Davies actually had a pretty significant film career, Mm -hmm. uh, not as a singer. She was more of a comedian. But the thing with uh, the thing was. William Randolph Hearst wanted her to be a serious actress, even mm-hmm. though comedy was what she was good at. Mm. And so he kept putting her in these ridiculous over the top dramas or musicals when mm. what she wanted to do was comedy.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, <laughs> and, and so that's very similar to the storyline with his second wife. Yeah. Not it's Susan, where he's forcing her to be this operatic singer that isn't what she can do and she's not good at it everyone knows it and yeah he just keeps pushing but he he keeps pushing it anyway and that destroys um,
0: her and their relationship in the end yeah
2: yeah so if you want to know more about the real life story that this is based on there is a pretty good little um uh hbo movie that came out in the late 90s uh called rko 281 it's called rko 281 because that was the um that was the uh, production
1: yeah
2: no it was the the number of the production i I think was rko2d1 yeah so um uh it's it's really good and the the story behind the movie is almost as fascinating as the movie itself so
0: i'll be definitely looking that up and i'll i'll try to link that in the show notes if i can find that uh the imdb at least but Mm -hmm. yeah um so yes i definitely felt that that kind of modern political resonance with it i think where that falls apart is that uh citizen kane charles kane does put do something bad enough to get in trouble basically (laughs) um and that is this affair comes out and, and that's a fascinating scene where um the political opponent is basically putting pressure on him like saying i'm gonna release this story and destroy your life and destroy your campaign um and he's stubborn enough that he says
2: do it unless you um uh, mm-hmm. Seed and, and all this stuff. I mean, it probably wouldn't, an affair probably wouldn't ruin it now. <laughs> yeah, that's what I, I mean. Saying, like, that was the only thing I <laughs> was like,
0: well, this is so, so, feels so modern. Oh, wait, no, that would not have mattered. <laughs> that <laughs> Sadly. would not. Yeah.
2: That nobody would care. <laughs> yes.
0: So there's that aspect of it. Um, So then the last, I guess, part of the so he loses the governorship. Um, and then the last section of the movie, you see a lot of his second wife, Susan's that we were just mentioning um, and and when she eventually leaves him and uh, that's very dramatic as well. Um, And then, yeah, so I guess that's kind of an overview of the plot. That's that's kind of a big overview because there's a lot of little details of different things happening and other characters I haven't mentioned yet. Um, But then, I don't know, do we want to talk about the very ending? I guess we can.
2: Uh, Yeah, let's do it. I mean, I don't, I think that they've had I mean, like, they can pause and go watch the movie. Otherwise, you've had, you know, 70-something years to see this. (laughs) Nearly 80 years. Yeah. So, um, (laughs) here we go.
0: Spoiler warning for the end of Citizen Kane. Spoiler warning.
2: Rosebud's a sled. (laughs) Yes, Rosebud is a sled.
0: (laughs) But it's what I think is so amazing about that. uh, Again, so I knew Rosebud was a sled, but I didn't really know much more beyond that. But I... Mm. um, so it's amazing. And it goes through this whole man's life, but it keeps that emotional core. So another thing that kind of differentiates it from, uh, I don't know, real life figures like president Trump um, is that it, it doesn't completely villainize him. Like you might expect, it maybe sounds like I'm talking about a total villain, but it, like you mentioned earlier, Rancid, it really empathizes with him too. And the other people around him, um, even though you recognize he's doing a lot of terrible things and, um mm-hmm. it kind of is digging into why and so we find out yeah at the very end that rosebud is his childhood sled and no one ever figures that out except the camera like the audience knows
2: but the yeah the journal which doesn't. is the brilliant thing the yeah. journalist you know walks off and he he never gets his story yeah and and that's where you have the raiders of the lost Im- yeah. lost arc imagery that you were or the yeah. the imagery that they they riff um where you Uh, start, you know, like they have collected these, these, I mean, this Xanadu, which is based on the Hearst Castle, which is a place you can visit here in California. Um, You have this mammoth place with all this, you know, stuff. Statues and, and, Statues and crates and crates and crates. And they're, they're throwing a bunch of items that they don't need into an incinerator. Mm. And, they see the sled and you know someone's like oh this isn't important and they toss in the fire and you close in on the sled and you see the sled says rosebud and the thing i love about that is it's basically saying like this man who kept trying to make himself into this huge deal (laughs) that became this larger than life figure in the public eye that had all of this money and all this stuff and everything that you could possibly want. He ultimately only wanted to recapture that little bit of joy he had in his childhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that yeah. is his entire arc and his entire journey. Yeah. And so then yeah. Rosebud
0: becomes a much bigger yeah, existential thing that he, it, it, it mentions a few times that he's always trying to, Get, get the next thing that he can't have or um, control things, basically. And this is the one thing he, that always eluded him and he could never get back to this this childhood feeling. Uh, yeah, it's really great. And, and that final shot with all the crates and everything. So the the reporter and his kind of team, I guess, kind of walk around talking and kind of wrap up. They think they're wrapping up the story of, I guess Rosebud was just um, just some nonsense or something. and um, But he kind of says something about all these things make up a man's life or something like that and that's kind of the sense you get from the movie because we've had all these little bits and pieces like you mentioned like seeing the personal side of uh who this man was and um seeing a life from beginning to end but then also that's what the the shot of all the crates absolutely has that feeling too because it yeah it starts close and then it zooms out and then it pans over it's just huge huge amount of stuff and it's like this is all that's left of this guy Uh, like this uh, what a legacy on one hand because he was such a big deal, but also nothing important is left and his Mm -hmm. rosebud is being burned in the fire. So yeah, it's really an amazing kind of bittersweet ending.
2: Um, Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, it's, there's a reason why this movie is, is, is so revered. It's because it has, all the elements and i feel like a lot of people talk about citizen kane and they go well it's it's up there because it is uh thought of as being this huge innovative movie and that's Mm -hmm. the reason it's number one and you know what yeah Mm -hmm. it is hugely innovative and it is um it is very important in in the echelon of film history because um it it made all of these innovations in terms of uh camera and mm. lighting and sound but it still also is a great film because it tells a story and it tells it well. Yeah. And yeah. ultimately what makes a good movie is when you tell a good story and you tell it well. Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah. There, there you go. go.
0: There, there you have it. That's, that's just the case. So let's talk a little bit. So we talked quite a bit about Orson Welles. Um, and he's, you know, the main guy for this. He directed, wrote,
2: and starred in it in every respect possible. He yeah. is the main guy. Yeah. <laughs> <for> uh, <this.
0: laughs> he, he had a writing partner on it though, Herman J. Mankiewicz, who we talked about the Mankiewicz yes. family quite a bit a few episodes back. Tell again, just briefly, his connection to the family.
2: Um, so Herman Megowitz uh, had been working in town for a while in Hollywood. He had made quite a few uh, films uh, dating back to silent era uh, when a writer's job would be able would be to write the scenario mm. and to write the titles, mm-hmm.
1: yeah.
2: you know, and then he came into 30s and the first really significant movie he makes in the sound era that he wrote is uh, Dinner at 8. Um Dinner at 8 was uh this all-star cast uh movie that had you know uh, a couple Barrymores and mm. and yeah. <laughs> Gene Arlo and a bunch of other people and mm. um and then he uh so he's at MGM during this period at that point in time you are typically under contract to a single studio. Mm. And even if you're a writer, uh, people think about the actors being under contract, but that extended to directors and writers as well. And, um, so he was, he was writing for MGM for a time and, um, through, I, I'm not quite sure what factors led to him going over and writing for Citizen Kane. Mm. Um, but he, um, because at the point and Kane comes into his filmography, he starts writing for quite a few different studios. So he he probably became more of a freelancer as time went on mm. and got partnered up with Orson Welles um, to do and Kane. And this is now what he's remembered for. Mm. But the reason why I like talking about Herman Mankiewicz is because he's part of this family mm. that has just humongous footprint in cinema history. Because uh, we talked a little bit about this with All About Eve. Mm -hmm. Uh, Joseph Mankiewicz was his brother and he wrote and directed All About Eve as well as uh, a movie that he also won Best Director and screenplay for called Letter for Three Wives. Um, And then uh, they each had children and grandchildren who ended up being intrinsically connected to the industry. And Joseph Mankiewicz had kids that were um, had a kid who was very intrinsically connected to the political Mm Uh, side of life and so the Mankiewicz family is uh, Hollywood royalty Um, so as much as Orson Welles uh, made a huge imprint on film uh, the fact that this also includes uh, a Mankiewicz Mm. uh, is something is something to be said and there is a, uh, a television series I believe is it a movie or a TV film that's being made right now about the oh, yeah, it's, family. A,
0: it's a movie it's called mank and um, yes i'm trying to remember who is playing in that because it's uh, i'm
2: really excited about it yes here it is it's um yes it's uh, gary oldman is playing herman mankowitz yes that's right and david fincher is a director so
0: yes, yes get david excited fincher about
2: that and tom burke is going to be orson wells uh, whoever tom burke is i'm sorry <laughs> sir i do not know you you're an english actor actor though so you know british people ra rah, rah. Yes, yes, Um And then Amanda Seyfried is in it as Marion Davies, who we were talking about a second ago. Oh, yeah. um, so Mank is going to center around the writing of Citizen Kane. So whatever little information I know about uh, his actual involvement and whatever um yeah <laughs> however he was can, able to we can uh,
0: all fact check rants in a few months when this
1: movie
2: comes. yes out. <laughs> you can all fact check you'll forget anything i said that's inaccurate yeah. um in uh in a few months but it is going to be a netflix yes. film. so look for that Pretty um excited for that look for that i mean who knows if it'll have a theatrical run or not because yeah. a it's netflix and b who knows if we have movie theaters yeah seriously
0: um <laughs> charles dance is in it too he's um oh
2: yeah he's in the Lan-
0: he's the lannister guy <laughs> that's i know from game of thrones he's tywin lannister
2: but there's yeah, right. a lot of other stuff too yeah and lily collins who is, has been in some stuff my cousin lily um oh, yeah. i'm not actually i don't think she's my she's she's phil collins's daughter though i got you that's funny i just assume anyone with collins i mean I Must be related cousin, to you yeah you know even though i have a very popular last name it's <laughs> yeah this well, is related to all of them
0: speaking of personal connection and Mankiewicz is I think we said this in the previous episode when we talked about this but you have worked really closely with Ben Mankowitz, who works for TCM so that's been uh, cool. yes
2: oh <laughs> I did I, I guess I should mention that Ben Mankiewicz who um, is the uh, primetime host for Turner Classic Movies uh, and has uh, been the primary host since uh, Robert Osborne died a few years ago and has been on the channel for I don't know, like fifteen or so years now. Uh he um is someone who I have gotten to know quite well because I do assistant work for him. I have escorted him at the Turner Classic Movie Film Festivals for a few years. Escorted means take around. I feel like I should clarify that. <laughs>
1: Sounds a little um, shady. No,
0: well, it's funny. I mean, can you hear if I tell about that Facebook video you reshared recently? <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh yeah, I didn't even mean to re- re-share. There's a Facebook video, and it's it's if you look at my Facebook, Rance Collins, you can see the video because it's set for the world to see. Um, but uh, it's funny, you know how sometimes somebody will comment on something that's like three years old, yeah. and then suddenly everybody's looking at it again. Yeah, it came and up my that's what happened yeah. with that video. Yeah, um, I at the end of every year, which is the thing I will most mess about. Um, about uh the festival this year yeah. at the end of every festival for the last uh i don't know four or five years because i have been the handler basically for <laughs> ben um we have shot a uh, a rap video at the rap party hmm. um and uh and every time he uh,
0: he doesn't know he's very funny
2: <laughs> he pretends like my name is he doesn't know my name and uh, he does i swear he knows my name <laughs> and uh, he, uh <laughs> and he uh he <laughs> he just has we do a we do a stick together yeah. and there are That's actually three of these videos that you can yeah watch i remember seeing a
0: different one too so i'll have to go find them all
2: yeah yeah, yeah. it's it's really it's really quite worth it the <laughs> and he's i gotta tell you as somebody who comes from a, a lineage of writers he i also write uh on-air scripts for him on Turner Classic Movies. um, And he edits every script uh, for all the intros and outros for his movies. Mm -hmm. And um, he is very difficult to, and the reason why that he has writers is because um, he does so many movies, uh, intros so many movies every month. He couldn't, you know, the workload is just too much for one person. But, um, so there's a few of us who the work's divided up against, and then he takes the scripts and he edits them. And um, he is very particular and very uh, uh, difficult uh, to write for because Mm. he has such a high standard uh, for what he wants those scripts to be that, uh, you know, sometimes uh, you write something and your work gets completely gutted. Mm. Um, But it's because he he holds such a high standard for what he puts out on television even for just a two three minute intro to a movie um and i think that that probably comes from a long line of having perfectionist yeah. as yeah. as family members
0: that's really fascinating yeah. his, his intros are amazing yeah. that's one of my favorite things about tcm uh, that's that's so much what uh, i appreciate about tcm and i realized like the best way to have some context before or after you watch a movie, is look up the host intro on YouTube because they're out there, uh, uh, whatever sure. it is. Like you can, it, it, for people that love DVD special features, it's like the ultimate way to watch classic movies is, is on it TCM. Is.
2: So yes. Yeah. And they have lots of, I mean like the entire reason that I haven't let go of cable is because of TCM. And um, I'm one of very few yeah. who has direct TV um, but, um, I believe me, just so you all know, you can get really good deals nowadays because they, <laughs> they want nobody has it, it anymore. Yeah. And they, <laughs> they're desperate. They will lock you into like a two years for 50 bucks or whatever, yeah. uh, deal, which, uh, uh, is pretty good for, you know, hundreds of channels. Yeah. But, um, uh, and they'll, they'll throw the internet in with it, and it's, it's amazing. Um, so, <laughs> um, I have TCM for that purpose. And the thing that I like about just turning it on and really the entire reason I still have cable is just so I can turn on TCM and it just like is whatever's on is on. And yeah. in between the movies, because it's commercial free, it doesn't, it only has TCM related commercials and they show uh, trailers and short films and uh, newsreels and a um, uh, little behind the scenes specials where they have a uh, little, highlight interviews they've made with various people over the years that they show in between the movies that add additional context into whatever it is that you, um, are watching on the channel. And, uh, it's a, it's a fun channel to just have on because it is educational in an Mm -hmm. entertaining way. And you never know sometimes, I mean, not every movie that was made 80 years ago is good. Believe me. But, Mm -hmm. um, but (laughs) You always you you happen onto gems all the time mm-hmm. just by just by turning on that channel,
0: yeah, that's
2: great. yeah,
0: yes. I, we are not sponsored by TCM, but you would think it would how much we love it, but I also they really do pay love to see it. me money. <laughs> yes, so maybe. Maybe we indirectly <laughs> <They> are. <laughs> are one of my employers. So I turned bro. it on the other day, actually. And so my son is five, but he really loves musicals and like anything with singing in it. And I was like, yeah. I wonder if he would like this. But we turned on Fiddler on the Roof and he was getting so into it. And I was like, yes, this is amazing.
2: He was like, oh, if he were a rich man. Yeah, he,
0: that song was on. He's dancing around the barn. What's
2: the name of that actor? He's uh, um, Rev Tevia. I'm trying to remember. Tevia, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, that's yeah. the character. Name. he's a um, one word no teddy <laughs> is the game but i feel like the actor has like a one word yeah, i think you're right am i making that up you're right i think um, it is um there. oh Topol. Topol. yeah Topol. Topol. yeah Topol. yeah
0: who played um, it on broadway for years and then
2: uh, oh then norman jewison directed that who and norman jewison's the guy who did in the heat of the night and uh oh yeah moonstruck mm-hmm. and um jesus christ superstar and <laughs> lots of uh but in the heat of the night uh is what i was thinking of so um yeah i'm a big which, uh, fan too so that's there I, we go yeah. i because of the tcm film festival i have been in a room with north with the with that director wow. that's so who's alive and super old but he um yeah i was also in a room with sydney poitier so oh my gosh
0: amazing right the life you lead
2: <laughs> the life I lead but this year not. I'm not going to be in a room with anyone I'm going to be yeah, in a room all by yourself. myself and <laughs> I'll turn on TCM yeah. and enjoy that
0: <laughs> well that I think is as good a place as any to end our discussion of Citizen Kane and our entire season um, with Ooh. just some classic movie love classic movies as we mentioned I think are the best way to experience history um, the best way to experience culture of days gone by um, and and just to feel I don't you sort of feel a kinship with older generations. I, I find that mm-hmm. like you know you were young and experienced things that I experience, you know at some point. and you still have experiences and those shouldn't be discounted. I, I think that's I've garnered a lot of that over the years just from watching old movies. So anyway, yeah, we are moving on to a little bit of a different focus in the next season, but um, let's take a moment and just remember classic movies are amazing. Uh, and and keep watching them. Don't be afraid of something just because it's in black and white.
2: Yeah, that's uh, that's my message all. I'm glad that we did all black and white for this series. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. Well, thanks again, Rance. We could not have done this without you, and uh, I so, so appreciate you being a part of this.
2: I had a great time. Uh, movie, everybody. Enjoy all the movies.
0: Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> And that's a wrap for season three. I absolutely could not have done this without the wonderful Rance Collins, down to the film selections and the discussion choices, and not to mention hours of his time to record all of this. Thank you, thank you Rance, and you are always welcome back. If I have it my way, this will not be Rance's last appearance on Arthouse Garage. Looking ahead now to season four that we're calling again the Arthouse Starter Pack. Just like season three was a gateway into classic cinema, This will be a gateway into art films. The very next episode, we will discuss Tokyo Story, directed by Yasujiro Ozu. I have never seen Tokyo Story. I've actually never seen a film by Ozu, though I hear his name all the time in film discussions. By all accounts, this movie is a big deal, and I'm very excited to experience it. This movie is currently streaming on the Criterion channel, as well as on Canopy, which a lot of libraries offer for free. You can also rent or purchase it on most digital platforms. Here's what the Criterion channel says in the description for Tokyo Story. A profoundly stirring evocation of elemental humanity and universal heartbreak, Tokyo Story is the crowning achievement of the unparalleled Yasujiro Ozu. The film, which follows an aging couple's journey to visit their grown children in bustling post-war Tokyo, surveys the rich and complex world of family life with the director's customary delicacy and incisive perspective on social mores. Featuring lovely performances from Ozu regulars Chishu Ryu and Hara, Tokyo Story plums and deepens the director's recurring theme of generational conflict, creating what is, without a question, one of cinema's mightiest masterpieces. So, yes, I'm excited to watch this. I can't wait to dig into it next time, so make sure to give it a watch and join us. Till then, Follow at Arthouse Garage on Instagram, Letterboxd, Facebook, and Twitter, and find all of our written and video content at arthousegarage.com. Subscribe to the monthly newsletter for movie news and streaming recommendations at arthousegarage.com slash subscribe. And if you want to support the show, leave a rating or review on your podcast app or buy a shirt at arthousegarage.com shop. We actually just added a new shirt design, so check that out. And that will do it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, keep it snob free.